0: Welcome to the LifeWay Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood with Julie Plunk. Hello. And Tom Paul Basham. Yo. And we are super excited to spend another episode with you. Our topic today is going to be all about how to change culture in your ministry. And so before we get to that and before I introduce our special guest, I want to remind you to leave a rating and review. It takes like 30 seconds to do that, and we would love to hear from you on what you think of the podcast, how we can make it better, as well as see the stars of a rating, because that helps people find the podcast as they search for student ministry-related content on their podcast of choice. So head over to iTunes, leave that rating and review. That would be fantastic. Also, in terms of announcement, I want to let you know that season two of Youth Ministry Booster is now available. Registration is open for season two of Youth Ministry Booster. And you might be asking, Ben, what is Youth Ministry Booster? And that's a great question. So it is an online networking platform for student pastors to grow in their leadership, to grow in leading and effective student ministry. And I think most importantly, to be involved in relationships that could build into community for you as a pastoral leader. You are not meant to lead alone. Your calling demands a community. And so we want to help you find the kinds of relationships with people that know your context but aren't in it so you can be vulnerable, so that you can speak the truth, so that you have people that you can vent to, pray with, ask for help, and all of those things. So collaboration and care are a huge part of Youth Ministry Booster. We'd love to have you join up. Season two is available right now. Our guest today is a great friend of mine, known him for a long time, and he is right in the middle of this topic today about how to change culture as a leader. And our guest today is Brian Mills. Brian is the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in Yukon, Oklahoma. And uh, we're thankful that you'd be here, Brian, that you'd take the time. Also, a legend of student ministry from, (laughs) from yesteryear and not too long ago. You say yesteryear like it's a decade ago, but it's not been that long.
1: Yeah, it's been a few years, you know. It's been it's been a few years, but I'm still pretty involved in that world.
0: That's right. Uh, so Brian and I have written a book together called A Different College Experience that you can give to your graduating seniors. It's, so we'll shameless plug the book here for a second. But Brian, man, thank you for being a part. And I'd love for uh, our audience of student pastors just to hear a little bit more about what you're doing now in ministry. And I think anytime a question like Anytime student pastors talk to somebody who is now a senior pastor that transitioned out of student ministry, the question always comes up, like, how did you know when or what made you decide that transition? So tell us a little bit about what's going on in your ministry uh, right now at Trinity. And then if you want to go ahead and get that question out of the way too, then that, sure. that would be awesome.
1: Yeah. Sure. So we've been here about a year uh, here on the west side of Oklahoma City, a place called Yukon, Oklahoma, really right in the middle of Yukon and Mustang, Oklahoma, Canadian County area. And it's been amazing. We've seen amazing growth. We're seeing a lot of life change. We have transitioned a significant amount of our church. We've changed the culture. We've changed the staff culture. We've changed the culture in which uh, our congregation follows. I mean, everything, everything we've done in the past 12 months has been changed. And the church has accepted. They've adapted to it and man, are they following. I mean, we I get the opportunity to pastor really an amazing group of people in an amazing community, an amazing county, and so really grateful for that. You know, the transition from pastoring into being a student pastor, to be honest, Ben, and you know this, I, I thought I would be a number two guy, an executive pastor, a next generation pastor. That that was kind of my approach to life, and that's where I thought I would end up after student ministry, and then God rocked my world, really my last year of student ministry back when I was in Nashville, Tennessee at Long Hollow Baptist Church. And I talked to the late uh, Pastor David Landreth about this in that journey and, uh, and really felt that God was telling me it's time to go pastor a church. And through the course of a journey, getting back with uh, a guy named uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd at First Baptist Church uh, in Northwest Arkansas. And that, that just really cultivated into when the time is right, I'm going to step out and go pastor a church and and we prayed for a few things. We prayed for a church where I could be me and I didn't have to I didn't have to be someone I wasn't. I could just be who I was, who God made me to be and could carry out the vision that God has given me for our church. And so we were real patient. We were not in a hurry to go pastor a church. We had an incredible job. I worked for incredible pastors and was really really thankful and uh, really rested where I was. I was not in a hurry to get where I Uh, wanted to be, uh, I capitalized on the moment on where God had me then, and as a result, I think I was blessed to get the opportunity to go and be where God wanted me, and my family and I were real patient in that, and when God opened the door for us to go to Trinity, it was a, it's a real small church. I mean, there was not anything like, this is a big opportunity. It was a really small church and an amazing opportunity with amazing people, Uh, but we knew it was what the Lord led us to do, and When God said go, we knew it was right. And so here we are taking on a senior pastor role and never worked so hard in my life, but having the time of my life as well.
0: I love it. So you land there and you mentioned you've been doing a lot of culture work. Uh, And so like, what are some things as, as you land in a place and there, there are, if I could take just a second to set the context here, there are going to be student pastors that listen to this that are going to be landing somewhere new. But I think the right now is unique because I think COVID-19 is giving the opportunity for all leaders to evaluate culture. And when we come back from this to address changing areas of culture that have needed to be changed for perhaps a long time, we just haven't been able to do that yet. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think The changing culture topic is huge right now because everybody's going to be walking through it, even if you're not in a new place. So student pastor of 10 years that is listening to this, you have the opportunity to change culture
2: right
0: right now and coming back. So, Brian, as you uh, as we begin to talk about this, what are some things you first land on the ground in Mm -hmm. learning the culture? Uh, on the podcast we've before we've referred to it as kind of a cultural exegesis where you actually study where you are. Talk about what you did there and kind of the importance of learning.
1: Well, I'm going to be pretty practical here and you're, you're probably going to make fun of me for some of it. But one of the first places <laughs> I went was Target uh, and Walmart. And uh, I don't always go in, you know, sometimes I like to sit in a car and catch up on work while my family goes in and and we pull up to Target, Walmart, and I said, let's just go in and walk around, which is very unusual for me. Like, I'm not even a shopper. I don't do that stuff. But uh, I wanted to walk in because I wanted to see who the people were. And the majority of just your, your average people are going to walk into Target and they're going to walk into Walmart and they're going to walk into Lowe's or somewhere like that, right? And the places that stay open during COVID-19, the essential places.
2: <laughs> you know? And so I
1: walked <laughs> in and I started learning and paying attention. Uh, Did they have older kids? Did they have younger kids? Were they young adults? Were they median age adults? Were they senior adults? Who were in those stores? And uh, so I started paying attention because I knew if I was going to grow a church in this community, I needed to know the community. And the best way to learn the community and the age of community was to go into those locations. It's a lot like the Apostle Paul did, right? In the book of Acts, when he would show up in a city, what did he do? He went and walked the marketplace Uh, and so I walked the marketplace of our community. Uh, I I set meetings with people in the public schools, uh, principals, superintendents, athletic directors, head football coaches, and I walked into those offices, sat down, and I asked questions about their school, about their community, because I couldn't, I, you can't change a culture you don't know, and Mm -hmm. if you don't study the culture first, you become, uh, the know-it-all that just moved in, and you're going to make some really bad decisions. And so for me to change a culture, I had to know the culture. And the best way to know a culture is to walk into the most cultural places that are provided in that environment, like a public school, like uh, Walmart or Target or some a, business, a local business in the community. And it helped me learn uh, the culture I was in.
3: Brian, how much would you say that process informed what changes needed to be made too? Because I, I think there's... You, you, we come into a place sometimes with a strong vision that comes out of our heart, but it, it's also informed by our past experience and past cultures that we've lived in. So there's a, I think there's a balance between, man, I'm going to take these people to this place that I feel like God is leading me, and I need to figure out where I can take them that would actually be healthy for them to go.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, I knew coming in, I knew I had a great vision, and I knew the direction we needed to go. But when I began to learn the people, in one instance, I went out to a guy farm and jumped on his tractor with him. And he's a you know, very connected, very, very uh, business savvy guy, but he's got a great farm too. And so I, I rode tractors for three hours. Well, it began to teach me the pace of my community. So that mm. taught me I am coming in with a passionate dream and vision, but the pace to fulfill that vision. And so I paid attention to that as I talked to these people, the pace that they run. So it's a great question, John Paul, because you can come in and run so fast that you outpace people. We referred to it early on here, we can turn this ship and we can, we can change the course of Trinity Baptist Church and we can change and reroute the course, but if we turn too quick, we're gonna turn people off the boat. And there's gonna be a lot of, gonna be a lot of collateral damage And so the key to changing the culture is how do you do so without a ton of collateral damage? You keep everybody on the boat. And if you can change your culture and almost everybody joins you, then I I think you might've, you really paid attention to the culture you're in and learned it. So you didn't go too fast.
3: I like that you said, and I think this was intentional and almost everybody joins you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how do you so as a pastor how do you think about that in terms of okay it's it's all right if almost everybody you know it's a win if almost everybody comes yeah. what do you do, how do you deal with because there's a certain pressure and, and I think for me too there would be a pride that what do you mean you don't want to come this way this is a great idea you know this is a great direction how do you how do you think through that in a culture shift
1: well, I think some of the answers to those questions that are dependent upon your personality type. Um, my personality type has no uh, grace, but high drive. You know? so there's a lot of youth pastors listening that have high grace. So they're going to say, I'm not going to change that culture because so and so is going to leave me and that's going to hurt my feelings and it's going to keep me up all night because the feelings get in the way of the vision and so learning to balance the difference between uh your learning to keep your security high enough that this is what god called me to do and not letting my feelings outweigh that so that i stay on track with what god calls me to do is is a very unique deal almost everybody almost every single person here has joined with us that doesn't mean they loved it by the way i've said on mm-hmm. many people on the on this couch right behind me i, I said with many people. And I've said, I, I'm not asking you to uh, I'm not asking you to say that you love the direction. I'm just asking you to accept the direction. This is where the Lord's leading us. Oh, would you be respectful enough to follow it? That doesn't mean you have to love it. And people have really loved those conversations. And I think that's part of the key to changing a culture, by the way, is having the tough conversations. And I don't think you're going to lose as many people if you're willing to sit down with those people and look them in the eye and be as respectful to their situation as you are to yours. So as much as I'm asking those people to respect me, pastorally, I need to respect them, too. I Hmm. might be changing up a Sunday school class. We moved all of our Sunday school classes off campus within six months of me being here. Um, And by the way, we didn't lose anybody over that journey but it involved a significant amount of one-on-one conversations and those conversations were not, you just need to get on board. Those conversations were me listening to them and receiving from them their heart and what that Sunday school class has meant to them. I think that is crucial. Uh, We don't bully our way through the church. Uh, We respectfully lead our way with wisdom uh, in leading the church underneath the, the leadership of the Holy spirit in our life. So that's kind of how we've done that here. Uh, now we've had a few leave and it hurts every time, you know, even for the guy that has no grace. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, I, I, to you, if it doesn't hurt my pride selfishly, yeah. uh, fleshly, it hurts my feelings, you know, like why wouldn't they follow, you know? Um, mm. but then it hurts me as a leader because I think did I, did I let somebody go. But then I also know, Uh, There's people that need to find the church that fits them. And uh, I need to let them have that opportunity as well.
2: Yeah.
0: And you've talked a lot about the people side of this. And knowing you, that's not a surprise to me at all. Uh, You as a student pastor were very much involved in the lives of people and in people in the community and all of those things. I mean, uh, the things you were talking about that you did setting up appointments with school. I mean, it sounds like you were starting a student ministry uh, all over again as a senior pastor. So I love that. Um, But you have, in other environments that you and I have been in, you've talked about the importance of meeting with your your people in small groups Mm
2: -hmm.
0: to hear and to cast in a small group before you ever cast vision, or at least simultaneously to casting vision to the large group. Talk about that approach and and how important that step that you that you took was.
1: Yeah, so the very first thing I did when I came here was I asked uh, my my leadership, my board of directors, I asked the search team, and I asked uh, different small group leaders, key leaders of our church, to develop groups of ten people, ten couples. and I would come to their house and I asked all of them to host a, a dessert, coffee and dessert with the pastor. And in that, I really just asked them a few questions. Uh, I asked them uh, about themselves. So each one of them went around, told their story, how they got connected because I wanted to get to know them. Then I asked them, what are they praying for, for the future of Trinity? Uh, those are really the only two questions I asked them. And we spent about two hours. Well, I did that for the first six months of me being here, uh, Three nights a week, my wife and I were out at one of these dinner parties. The reason we did that was because you can't you can't change uh, people if you don't know the people, and the people are not going to follow you if they don't know you. And you can bark the orders from the pulpit, but at that point, you're just a pulpit preacher, and you're not a pastor to mm-hmm. the people. And I always knew as a youth pastor or as a senior pastor, I've got to be pastor to people, and uh, we're in the people business, and no matter... I, I think no matter how introverted you are, you cannot use that as an excuse not to be with people. And so I gave the people the opportunity to meet with me, uh, as we were casting vision and changing things, uh, they could sit down with me. I have an open door policy. Anybody can walk in my office at any moment. Um, and I had the, especially early on here, pastoring. And, uh, I gave them the opportunity as I went to every small group and everywhere to ask whatever question they wanted and they did and they asked some really tough questions and a couple of them, you know, pushed pretty hard and they learned they had a pastor that's not afraid to push a little hard too, Uh, but, but it was part of it. And what it did was it created great friendships because they learned this guy's not intimidated, but he's humble enough to stand in front of us and talk about it. And so, uh, that was one of the greatest keys I did coming here. And it's one of the greatest keys I've ever done in youth ministry, by the way, as well, was I would meet one-on-one with students and volunteers.
2: I think that's awesome and such a foundation for whatever like state your, you know, these student ministers are in that's listening to this, whether you're at a new place or culture, that should be one of your top priorities. I would ask this too. Um, so after that first you know, I'm going to get to know everyone. We're going to do these, you know, these small group dessert meetings. Um, I'm impressed you didn't just gain a ton of weight by eating really great dessert and coffee three times a week. It's worth <laughs> oh <man. laughs> sacrifice. It's okay. Yeah. Um, what, what did you do after that, after those initial things to like, keep up that relationship? And cause I know you can't meet with all those people one on one. So minister that's kind of at that phase now. Okay, I've done that initial like trying to build. How would you continue that?
1: Well, I followed a principle uh, here as pastor that I followed in youth ministry. uh, was I got involved with our our key leaders of our church, you know, like we followed a three-part principle in youth ministry with our volunteers, rally weekly, meet monthly, and party often. Now that we learned the value of Zoom, we know that we can even do that more effectively now, right? Uh, it's one thing I've been teaching our ministers is, be with your people. You can do a 20-minute meeting where they're on vacation this summer. Just just use, COVID-19 has really helped the local church, not hurt the local church as much as we think, I believe. Mm. And, uh, and we got a great opportunity in front of us if we seize it and adapt to it. Um, and so what I've spent time through COVID-19. Remember, I've only been here a year, so that was just a few months ago I was doing that. I've jumped on all their zoom calls. It's really easy. Hey, send me your zoom link. I'll jump on and say hi to all the people. Um, I've contacted our church. Uh, one thing that I do, if you visit our church, I shoot you a personal text every Sunday afternoon. So I leave the pulpit, I go out and eat with my family and I go home to work. Sunday's a work day, uh, for me. And, uh, and I go home and I text through every first time guest that visits our church and try to connect them, and let them know that I'm grateful that they took time to show up to our church that day. Uh, now our church has been growing really fast, so that's a lot of text every Sunday, but I'm really grateful for that, and, and we'll continue to do that. Um, something else I've done is I stand in the lobby every single Sunday between all of our services. Uh, after a service, obviously not right now during COVID-19, even though we have started back, I don't, I don't stand there, but, uh, pre COVID and post COVID, I will stand in the lobby every uh, Sunday. And, I we make an announcement before you leave church today, if you're visiting or if you just got a question for our pastor and his wife, they would love to meet you in the lobby or they would love to talk to you in the lobby. And I talk to, I don't, I'm the last one to leave on Sunday. I don't leave until, um, everybody who's wanted to talk to me, talks to me. And so, um, I see it as a calling of God to be a pastor, but I also see it as my job, and, uh, and I knew you work hard at your job, and so uh, it's easy to work hard at what God called you to do, and so we work really, really hard at relationships. Now today, just one additional answer to that question, we are really developed a, a leadership structure for our church through our volunteers and through the people of our church so that they're helping me drive the relationships. It is not all dependent upon me anymore. Our team has really gotten part of our culture shift was getting our right, getting people in the right seat of the bus. Uh, we've done that in some form or fashion. As a result, they're hanging with people, connecting with people. Again, that's a youth ministry tactic. That's 101 youth ministry right there. You know, If you wanna double your youth ministry, double your volunteers, right? And that's what we've done as a church so that everybody coming to our church feels like they're very, very connected.
0: Man, one of the things that has stood out to me in this is thinking through the student pastor who is not new at their church, and maybe they did at the beginning work really hard to spend time with the people, but that over the years have maybe worked themselves, quote, worked themselves out of that kind of intentionality with groups of people. And the importance of using this moment to just evaluate and say, is that me? Like, have Mm -hmm. I got so much work or put so much work on my plate now that I've removed that intentionality with meeting with small groups of people and making sure that I still have the pulse of what's going on around me? So student pastor that's listening, take a moment to evaluate. And if you find yourself in that place, then you can correct it right? Like, don't sit in the guilt of, man, I'm going to beat myself up. Like, don't worry about that part of it. But you can start doing this anytime. Even if you've been at your church for eight years, man, it's never too late, I don't think, to start getting small groups of people and meeting with them and kind of regaining that relational connection if you're in a situation where it's been lost.
3: And I think as you do that, if you're in that place where you've let that go, I am... 100% sure that that will be received positively by your people, too. It's been the case every single time when I've made an effort to re-emphasize that and really dig in that parents and volunteers and students alike, everybody, they always say, man, this is so good. This is so good. Thank you for doing this. People are hungry for that kind of connection. And even more so now, Brian, I think you're absolutely right. This season that we've been in is, I think it's going to pour so much fuel on the church as things begin to open up and people really, just the other day, there was somebody that my wife and I were talking to that had uh, somebody come to their house to bring them something. And they, they dropped off what they to drop off at the house. And Katie said that, her, her friend just reached out and gave her a hug and Katie had, she hadn't hugged anybody, shaking anybody's hands. I mean, they have really just been staying on their five acres. You know, we're, this is, we've got our family here and we're good. And she said, man, when she gave me a hug, it was like life, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> exploded in that moment. She was like, I want to hug everybody. Well, a couple of nights later, long story behind this, but I had to take a neighbor to the hospital. So, as I, w- I went back and picked him up because you can't stay with somebody in the ER waiting room or anything. And so on our way out, this cop flags us down, and there was somebody whose battery was dead in the parking lot. And so he said, Do You have jumper cables? So I was like, Yeah, I got jumper cables. So we jump off this lady's car, and she nearly tackled me in the parking lot, giving <laughs> me a hug. And I was like, Man, you know, we had just had this conversation with Katie. I was like, I'm gonna hug every stranger I see. <laughs> so Man, I think this <laughs> please is gonna be, I think this is gonna be the case. I think we're gonna see, and Brian, you all have already started meeting some.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I yep. think we're only gonna see that same enthusiasm for yes, please, let's get together. Yes, please, let's let's meet and and find that same relationship again.
1: You know, part of the one thing we're we're realizing in that is I agree, John Paul, a lot of people wanna jump back in. Uh, but they're not just going to jump in with both feet right off the bat. They want the relationship. They want the connectivity. But what what's the stat? I'm sure you all know it takes eight weeks to build a habit or something like that. And most we were only out about six weeks at Trinity, but we waited a week. And then we started back pretty quick. But most have been out eight to nine weeks now. And getting them back in the routine to walk in the church doors, because uh, a lot of them are finding a little bit, they're learning they can find community online. And getting them back in the doors is going to require some effort. And it goes back to what, Ben, you said in the very beginning. If we want to drive these relationships like that, uh, that will, that's how you change cultures. you got to have relationships. Uh, it goes back to what you said in the beginning. Seize the moment coming out of COVID-19. And if you're a youth pastor, change it up. Meet with all your people. Do small groups and, and connect with people outside of COVID-19 and reconnect. And it'll help drive,
0: drive the journey for sure. Man, I'm curious, and again, I, I can ask you a little bit more specific questions because we know each other, yeah. um, but I think this applies to student pastors as well. When you're bringing on someone new, like you've just, you've just hired a worship pastor at, at your church, as youth pastors either are bringing on somebody new to their team in a volunteer or staff position. Mm-hmm. How do you get them up to speed on the culture work so that when they become a part of the team, they're ready to run with you? And in the majority of cases, this is going to be student pastors bringing in new volunteers. Mm-hmm. But how do you bring somebody up to speed on the culture?
1: I think you can't bring them up to speed of a culture that you don't have. Uh, so if you're leaving your culture at a 40,000 foot culture and you just got this big dream, but you don't have it articulated into the processes, you've got to become a little bit more process driven. So when, I, when you come on my staff, um, we've got core values that we do around together we, and there's seven core values here at Trinity. So first sermon series I ever preached was together we and dot, 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 right? Together we give, together we tell people, together we're united, whatever it is. And, uh, and so obviously I teach that to a new staff member. We have core values, six core values as a staff, and there's six things that we kind of expect of you as a staff member here at Trinity. We wrote those this past year, so we give those. There's a mission statement that we have. Together, we are reaching, discipling, sending church, impacting generations for Christ. So if you're going to join our team, we want you to reach people. We want you to disciple people, but then we want to send people out on mission for the gospel as kingdom influencers. So you can, I just adapted everybody on this podcast into our culture. It's a together we culture (laughs) around a mission statement with these core values. And I can join them in our staff. It's very easy to articulate. So you can't, you can't do that unless you got it right. And so you need to pause and take time to really learn how to articulate the culture you're driving. And as youth pastors, I would really encourage you, uh, I think the culture ought to fall underneath the leadership of your church and your senior pastor. Uh, now I know okay. I'm a senior pastor, but I haven't always been, you know, <laughs> um, somebody asked my youth pastor the other day, his name's Baron and somebody asked him, uh, what is your vision for the student ministry? And he says it aligns with our church. We're, we're a student ministry. It wants to reach people, disciple people and send people. and uh, it And we do it all together under the whole Together We initiative. And, It all aligns. So the whole church from babies to seniors all align underneath one culture. That's easy to bring a staff member on in that that design. Hmm.
0: So you have talked before about how leaders can't hide when you're trying to change culture. Really, I think we could say at any moment, if you begin to hide as a leader, it's probably not a good direction. So talk more about that as as a leader and and as a, you know, we've talked about the, the relational piece of ministry, but in your coaching of a student pastor and your experience yep. in changing culture now, you've got to be the one driving it if it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, a lot of youth pastors have had a parent upset at them. They've had students upset at them. They're changing the way they do camp or changing their denow or changing their summer camp. In youth ministry, we should always be adapting and changing because the culture is always shifting. And uh, you're always going to have somebody upset. So what do you do in that moment? The greatest lesson I've, I've ever learned is don't hide. Now, this, this kind of goes into the gutsy part of you. Like, you, you can't be afraid. Even if you don't like conflict, you can't be afraid of conflict. And if you're ready for it, I think you could step in. The greatest thing you can do in the midst of changing, when you announce that you're changing something, is to go stand in the lobby and let people talk to you. Uh, Don't change and be afraid to let people talk to you. You've got to let people talk to you. Uh, So you got to somewhat say it and just stand there and receive what's (laughs) coming at you, which is not always fun. But people want to really see that humility, but they also want to see that confidence. Uh, People want to follow a confident leader, not an arrogant leader. And a confident leader is humble enough to stand there and uh, be faced with Uh, the questions and if you're intimidated other questions you might not be you might should not be changing uh, the culture uh, because you don't know what you're doing and you ought to have it mapped out well enough that you could answer any question I don't think you can run from conflict Uh, you got to address it with respect and humility but with leadership and so anytime um, you're changing something and you're not gonna hide if somebody's uh, murmuring you know good old church talk behind the scenes I'm sure a lot of people had that, you know, it's like all the deacon talk. I told my, my deacons every day, it's like the Christian mafia back in the day. Um, it, it's this old conversation that would happen behind the scenes and they're not telling anybody. Every time I heard that up to this point in our church, and we had it in the beginning, but every time I heard it, I would call and ask those people to come sit on my couch in my office and say it to my face. And Hey, I know you don't like this change. I've heard you saying this, behind the scenes to people, here I am, if you'd like to say it to my face. Um, that Every one of those conversations did not go bad. Not one of them went negative. Not one of them turned disrespectful. Not one of them, uh, there was no negativity out of any of them. Every one of those awkward conversations ended up with, man, I understand where you're at now, Pastor. I'm ready to follow. Every Mm -hmm. one of those conversations. And so you just can't, You can't hide from it. You you can't run from it. You got to be present. You got to communicate it, communicate you're available. It's tough. That's the toughest part of ministry is, is, is facing the conflict. But if you're willing to face a conflict, you'll be able to drive the ship and you'll be able to drive it towards where the Lord wants you to take it, not where the people are trying to direct it.
2: Hmm. That's really, really good, Brian. And something that no matter what the personality is, so vital, so important, um, and and a struggle for everyone. Whether you're comfortable wow. with conflict or not, it's kind of awkward. And so here's here's what my follow up question would be: is for how do you make sure you don't get overspent with the constant availability that you are giving, which is so important. But I do see so many. I'm married to a pastor, and so. There are times where he's giving so much. How do you um, have that balance where you're not going home just so exhausted emotionally and socially Um, and just be able to have a healthy balance?
1: That's a great question. Um, So I follow the principle that John Maxwell has taught all of us so, so well that you are your greatest leader and you control your calendar you control your time and you control the emotional intake that you're going to, that you're going to intake that, that day. And so I'm not going to line up multiples of those conversations one day. I would go home and punch a wall, right? Like any of us would, we would all just be like, Oh my gosh, I'm called to do it, but I hate it. And, um, and so I try to manage that real well. I try to communicate real well from the pulpit. I had a leader one time tell me, and this might be, John Maxwell too. I just forget who said it. Was on a Sunday morning. If what what they told me as a youth pastor. Uh, now I applied as a pastor. As on a Sunday morning, walk slow through the crowd because I I know who it was. It was Dr. Ed Young Senior. Told me this. He said, walk slow through the crowd because you can handle a stand-up meeting on Sunday morning in five minutes, but if they come to your office, it's going to take an hour of your time. Well, as soon as he told me that, I started applying it. So every Sunday morning, somebody might say to me, hey, pastor, could I have a meeting with you this week? I got time right now. What's up? That's how I respond. And that meeting's going to take about three minutes versus me giving up half, uh, half an hour to an hour of my day. And it's going to be a whole lot less emotional. And so I really have taken some of this advice from some of these great leaders out there, and I'm trying to apply them to my life now as a pastor so that, I don't have that problem. Um, I don't uh, give extra time if, if it's time for me to go home that day, it's time for me to go home. Um, I try to manage that in my life. I do the same for my staff. If you're on my staff and uh, typically my worship pastor does Thursday night rehearsals, so he doesn't come in until noon on Thursdays. Now he'll put in 60 to 70 hours a week, you know, so I'm not questioning his work ethic, but we try to manage, manage our team that way. So we spend significant time with our families. We don't uh, face burnout. Uh, that one other thing I would say in all that, and I don't mean to go so long with the answer. The only other thing I would say to that is I wake up every morning and I, I give my time to the Lord and ask mm-hmm. him to fill me up. If we're personally walking with Jesus every single day, our tank's going to be a whole lot fuller than if we're trying to do this alone and pretending like we're walking with Jesus every day.
3: Man, that's good. The rem- The reminder <clears throat> is one that we always need that, none of this is going to happen in a way that honors the lord unless we are making sure to honor the lord every single day first thing before we try to do anything any kind of culture change any kind of strategy that we're putting in place none of it's going to count unless we're asking the lord to lead the way one thing that i like a lot is you know there are some things that like you mentioned just doing the stand-up things as you walk slowly through the crowd that's Pastor Grant Etheridge used to say that all the time mm-hmm. as well. And that is, on one hand, it's very savvy, and it's a great leadership move yeah. to just say, I-, I know what the end result of this is going to be if I start scheduling e- the meeting that everybody wants to have next week. But it also, it also shows care for the people in that moment,
2: mm-hmm.
3: that I'm not too busy to talk to you and listen to you and love you and shepherd you right now, no matter how big the church is or how busy the moment might be. And that's, that's something that I've learned from a worship pastor that mentored me for such a long time. And he would always say, man, if anybody ever says, Hey Jeff, will you pray for me? He'll, yeah, right now. I'll pray for you right now. I'll listen to you. I'll talk to you right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that only contributes to when, Specifically, talking about culture shifting, it's when the people know you're available right then and you're not too busy to listen to them in that moment. Man, they're going to come with you so much further than if you said, You know what, I got to go, let's talk later. Yeah,
1: I agree, it makes a big difference. You talk about Grant Etheridge, he you know, he lived that life the same way, you know, standing in the lobby, hanging with the people, connecting with them. He taught me that, uh, right as I was going to pastor here, I called him and asked him, Is it advice. And I know y'all, y'all have worked for him and what a great example in that as well. It's just something about it. You don't have to give all your time. You don't have to face burnout, but you can be available and still have all kinds of time on your hands if you do it strategically and uh, you are your greatest leader.
0: Man, I think there's something else to all this. And we, speaking of Grant Etheridge, he had it. And Brian, you know him personally, and your brother worked for him for a long time and all that. Grant, I think this is something that senior pastors develop. He had that way about him where he could give you the worst news ever and he'd give you that (laughs) smile and you'd be like, okay. And you'd just agree to what I think he had. I think that's a developed smile that senior (laughs) pastors have as leaders and he had it, man. He was, he's a great leader, Brian, uh, man, thank you so much for pouring wisdom into us and into, uh, listeners of the podcast today. We really appreciate you making time to do this.
1: Yeah, really honored to be a part. Always thankful for what you guys do and your commitment to the local church.
0: Yeah, man. We are, we are blessed and honored to do it. This has been another episode of the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We will see you next time.